Hello and welcome to a brand new season of A Cozy Christmas Podcast. I'm your host, Art, and happy February, everyone. On the day that I'm recording this, it's February 2nd, and we should be dropping this episode in about a week's time. I am very excited about the new season I have coming up for you. I'll have plenty of stories, and we're going to talk about books. We're going to be talking about stories about Christmas um, and all the fun that comes with that. I hope that even in February and throughout the year, you'll be able to use the podcast to slow down, to catch your breath, to relax, and to remember the coziness of Christmas. Well, I can't wait to get started today, so let's jump in and deck the halls. Well, winter has finally come to Iowa with somewhat of a vengeance. It hasn't been below zero like in years past, but we have sure had a lot of snow. Uh, It was probably about mid-January. I got the Christmas tree put away and a lot of the decorations came down. And then finally I got around to turning off the outside lights. And as soon as it gets a little warmer outside, I'm going to have to take those down, but it shouldn't be too much of a problem. I know some of you still have your decorations up and that is awesome. It was about a couple of weeks ago, we had a blizzard, which did not dump a lot of snow, just a couple of inches, but it was very windy and very icy and slippery out. It was very, very dangerous to be out. I could barely see the house across the street from us. And then maybe about a week later, we had a a pretty good sized snowfall maybe almost a foot of snow, which I haven't seen that in one go in quite a while. So that was really fun. And the kids ended up getting two days off of school, which at least Grace didn't complain about too much. Uh, But that was a lot of fun and getting to dig out and, and just enjoy that. In fact, that snowstorm came on January 25th. And it was a day I had planned to do some, some cooking, some baking. And I just had a great, it was a great day. The snow As the snow came down, I was uh, reading some good books. I baked some delicious cookies in the kitchen and obviously in the kitchen. (laughs) I didn't want to bake them outside. Uh, But then I hadn't actually listened to any Christmas music for about a week or two. And I'm not even sure why. Maybe I was just taking a little break. But just something about putting the Christmas music back on, snowing outside, baking some fresh cookies. It was Christmassy and it felt great. I know a lot of people look at every month the 25th as being a day, uh, I think they call it Rudolph Day, maybe. They'll use that day to do Christmas crafts or to do Christmas planning or something. And, and I thought that might be a fun tradition to try out this year is to do something Christmassy on the 25th of every month. All right, so the, what about the, these cookies? I made pumpkin oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. I was just in the mood for something with pumpkin. We still had a can left over. Couldn't decide between like chocolate chip pumpkin cookies or chocolate chip oatmeal cookies. And I thought, why not try both? Looked online, sure enough, found a recipe. It was very delicious. I managed to do it without burning any of them or or burning the house down. So that's, in my book, a qualified success. And if I remember, I'll I'll put the recipe in the show notes for you. Um, so anyway, there's a, a, just a couple of things to help you stay in the Christmas mood throughout this year. And I look forward to spending that time with you as well. Well, I have another listener memory. It's it's not so much memory this time, but our, our listener, Rick, who has provided the last couple of memories, wrote in back in December 
So yeah, I'm just now getting to these. <laughs> uh, but uh, he wanted to interrupt his Christmas memories in order to give to give us some observations and recommendations in time to enjoy for the season. This is obviously February now. If you like to watch Christmas movies throughout the year, Rick wrote in and t- to tell me about his favorite Christmas movies. He says, first of all, my favorite Christmas movies. I have to admit I'm a stickler for Christmas themes in both movies and music. Every year, the debate starts about whether movies such as Die Hard or Christmas movies. In my humble opinion, and it should be yours, is that a Christmas movie must have a Christmas theme as an integral part of the plot. Movies like Die Hard and a majority of Hallmark Christmas movies, no matter how good they may be, don't make the grade. It takes more than a Christmas tree in the background to make a true Christmas movie. All right, well, Rick, that's um, the gauntlet has been thrown down. Talk about your your controversial hot take. So what do you think about that, guys? Do you think Rick is right here? I'm surprised he even includes a majority of Hallmark Christmas movies. So with that in mind, he shares his list of his favorite Christmas movies. First of all, Miracle on 34th Street, the original black and white version. I kind of like the newer version myself, Rick, but... The Santa, especially in Miracle on 34th Street, is is really, really nice. But I, I do, personally, I, I like the newer version. Rick says, secondly, it's a wonderful life. Now, this is going to be <laughs> controversial to many because there are some of us who don't think it's a Christmas movie just because it's kind of tacked on at the end. But that's a debate for another podcast. These are Rick's choices, and they're good choices. Third, A Christmas Story. He says, as I mentioned before, this movie holds a special place in my heart as it was my childhood growing up. From dressing up in our snow coveralls, trudging to school in the snow in north central Indiana, to the sea of presents under the Christmas tree, it constantly brings great memories flooding back. Uh, number four, he says, is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I mean, can you get much Christmassier than that? Uh, you know, that's a that's a Christmas movie. But he says, uh, we would look forward to seeing this early animated version every year as kids, and it is just as entertaining now. He says, I still remember Burl Ives' character riding the razor down the hill in the commercial. Charlie Brown Christmas is the same. Number five, he says, is The Christmas List, starring Mimi Rogers. Um, says, this is one of, he says, this show is one of my favorites, even though it's not replayed anymore. And it's very difficult to find. Yeah, I've not heard of that movie. If anyone has seen The Christmas List starring Mimi Rogers, um, let me know what you think of it. Um, There's number six, A Holiday Affair. And this is an old movie that borderlines on my definition of Christmas, but I think it qualifies. Great movie. Um, Again, that's one I haven't heard of. Number seven is The Preacher's Wife and or The Bishop's Wife. The Preacher's Wife is a wonderful remake of The Bishop's Wife, Bishop's Wife, featuring a fabulous soundtrack with Whitney Houston. Number eight, then there's the more modern com- comedies Elf, as well as Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad. Jingle All the Way, I've only seen once or twice a very long time ago. I'd be interested in revisiting that. And it's not because I didn't like it. I, I seem to remember really loving it or, or just laughing hysterically through it. So yeah, I'd like to check that out again sometime. Then he talks a little bit about um, some music. He says, as for songs, I will list some of the more obvious ones and some of the specific artists when applicable. This is one area that I am more lenient, but I will mention that many of the Christmas songs that we know and love are not actually Christmas songs. While I love songs like Jingle Bells, Sleigh Ride, and Winter Wonderland, they are winter songs, but not really Christmas. During the summer months, when I am suffering through the heat, 
These are the songs that I turn to. As for Christmas songs, there are the usuals like A Christmas Song and White Christmas, but some of not-so-common songs that I really like that I would recommend you add to your list are Carol of the Bells by the Gospel Trio One by One. That's W-O-N by O-N-E, so One by One. Marshmallow World, Is It Christmas Yet? A Quartet Christmas, Christmas in Indiana, of course, and Mr. Heat Miser by the Gospel Quartet, Ernie Haas, and Signature Sound. Both groups have several Christmas albums that I love. These songs also give a little variety to the normal Christmas selections. Uh, Rick says, I also love Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers' Christmas album. It also contains several songs that are off the beaten path, adding a little variety to your collection as well. If you're in a cynical mood, there's A Christmas Song by Jethro Tull and Father Christmas by Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. So that is, again, from our listener, Rick. So I'd love to hear, what are your, some of your favorite movies, some of your favorite Christmas songs? I don't know if I could even tell you what my favorite Christmas songs are. I love so many of them. It's just the best. I can be a little more definitive about my movies, but the music, um, I love so much of it. So thanks, Rick. And if you have a, a Christmas memory or a tradition or even some Christmas opinions that you want to share with the listeners on the podcast, send me an email or a voicemail to cozychristmaspodcast at gmail.com and I'll feature you on an upcoming episode. And if you do that, I'll send you a Christmas card and a podcast sticker as my way of saying thanks. So let's keep those memories coming. We have a lot of time between now and Christmas to get those in and I'll read them throughout the year. For our story today, we're going to enjoy a selection from Charles Dickens's The Pickwick Papers. This is the first novel that Charles Dickens wrote. Uh, it was back in the 1830s, I believe. It was doing okay until the chapter where he introduced Mr. Pickwick's valet sam weller and he became so popular with the readers that the publication really took off and uh, the rest is history there's a couple of christmas chapters i've read selections from in the past but here is what occurs on the morning of christmas day just to kind of catch us up on where we are the story mr pickwick and his friends and sam weller have been spending christmas at manor farm um, so two medical students arrive at manor farm Benjamin Allen and Bob Sawyer, and this is on and this is on Christmas Day, they arrive. Ben has come to escort Arabella home, who is a character in the novel, which saddens Mr. Winkle very much because Mr. Winkle has his heart set on Arabella. So before dinner, the two students discuss dissections they are currently working on, much to the disgust of Mr. Pickwick, who warns them to stop before the ladies arrive. Mr. Wardle invites everyone to go ice skating. Bob Sawyer asks Mr. Winkle if he knows how to skate. Winkle replies that he does, though he is out of practice and has no skates. Uh, well, that's a little thing like that isn't going to stop our, our uh, reluctant hero from getting out on the ice. For skates are found, and Mr. Wardle leads the way to the frozen pond. And, well, well, you'll just have to listen to hear what happens next. I love ice skating, but I know not to brag about it. Let's just put it that way. But this chapter is fun and it's wintry. It's it's not strongly Christmassy, but I think it's suitable for the time of year we are heading into. It's February. We're getting close to Valentine's Day. Love is in the air. 
And we'll see if Mr. Winkle can win the heart of Arabella through his skills on the ice. Chapter 30 from The Pickwick Papers by Charles Dickens How the Pickwickians made and cultivated the acquaintance of a couple of nice young men belonging to one of the liberal professions, how they disported themselves on the ice, and how their visit came to a conclusion. Well, Sam, said Mr. Pickwick, as that favored servitor entered his bedchamber with his warm water on the morning of Christmas Day. Still frosty? Water in the washhand basins and mask of ice, sir, responded Sam. Oh, severe weather, Sam, observed Mr. Pickwick. Fine time for them as is well wrapped up, as a polar bear said to himself when he was practicing his skating, replied Mr. Weller. I shall be down in a quarter of an hour, Sam, said Mr. Pickwick, untying his nightcap. Very good, sir, replied Sam. There's a couple of sawbones downstairs. A couple of what? exclaimed Mr. Pickwick, sitting up in bed. A couple of sawbones, said Sam. What's a sawbone? inquired Mr. Pickwick, and not quite certain whether it was a live animal or something to eat. What? Don't you know what a sawbones is, sir? inquired Mr. Weller. I thought everybody knowed as a sawbones was a surgeon. Oh, a surgeon, eh? said Mr. Pickwick with a smile. Just that, sir, replied Sam. These here ones as is below, though, ain't regular thoroughbred sawbones. They're only in training. Ah, in other words, they're medical students, I suppose, said Mr. Pickwick. Sam Weller nodded assent. I am glad of it, said Mr. Pickwick, casting his nightcap energetically on the counterpane. They are fine fellows, very fine fellows, with judgments matured by observation and reflection, and tastes refined by reading and study. I am very glad of it. They're a smoking cigars by the kitchen fire, said Sam. Ah, observed Mr. Pickwick, rubbing his hands. Overflowing with kindly feelings and animal spirits, just what I like to see. And one of them, said Sam, not noticing his master's interruption, and one of them's got his legs on the table and is a drinking brandy neat, viled to other, him and the barnacles, has got a barrel of oysters atween his knees, which he's opening like steam, and as fast as he eats them, he takes a aim with the shells at young Dropsy, who's a sitting down fast asleep in the chimney corner. Eccentricities of genius, Sam, said Mr. Pickwick. You may retire. Sam did retire accordingly. Mr. Pickwick, at the expiration of the quarter of an hour, went down to breakfast. Here he is at last, said old Mr. Wardle. Pickwick, this is Miss Allen's brother, Mr. Benjamin Allen. Ben, we call him, and so may you if you like. This gentleman is his very particular friend, Mr. Mr. Bob Sawyer, interposed Mr. Benjamin Allen. Whereupon Mr. Bob Sawyer and Mr. Benjamin Allen laughed in concert. Mr. Pickwick bowed to Bob Sawyer, and Bob Sawyer bowed to Mr. Pickwick. Bob and his very particular friend then applied themselves most assiduously to the eatables before them, and Mr. Pickwick had an opportunity of glancing at them both. Mr. Benjamin Allen was a coarse, stout, thick-set young man, with black hair cut rather short and a white face cut rather long. He was embellished with spectacles and wore a white neckerchief. Below his single-breasted black surtout, which was buttoned up to his chin, appeared the usual number of, of pepper-and-salt-colored legs, terminating in a pair of imperfectly polished boots. Although his coat was short in the sleeves, it disclosed no vestige of a linen wristband, and although there was quite enough of his face to admit the encroachment of a shirt-collar, it was not graced by the smallest approach to that appendage. 
he presented, altogether, rather a mildewy appearance, and emitted a fragrant odor of full-flavored cubas. Mr. Bob Sawyer, who was habited in a coarse blue coat, which, without being either a great coat or a surtout, partook of the nature and qualities of both, had about him the sort of slovenly smartness and swaggering gait, which is peculiar to young gentlemen who smoke in the streets by day, shout and scream in the same by night, call waiters by their Christian names, and do various other acts and deeds of an equally facetious description. He wore a pair of plaid trousers and a large, rough, double-breasted waistcoat. Out of doors, he carried a thick stick with a big top. He eschewed gloves and looked, upon the whole, something like a dissipated Robinson Crusoe. Such were the two worthies to whom Mr. Pickwick was introduced as he took his seat at the breakfast table on Christmas morning. "'Splendid morning, gentlemen,' said Mr. Pickwick. Mr. Bob Sawyer slightly nodded his assent to the proposition and asked Mr. Benjamin Allen for the mustard. "'Have you come far this morning, gentlemen?' inquired Mr. Pickwick. "'A blue lion at Muggleton,' briefly responded Mr. Allen. "'You should have joined us last night,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'So we should,' replied Bob Sawyer. "'But the brandy was too good to leave in a hurry, wasn't it, Ben?' "'Certainly,' said Mr. Benjamin Allen. "'And the cigars were not bad, or the pork chops either, were they, Bob?' "'Decidedly not,' said Bob. The particular friends resumed their attack upon the breakfast more freely than before, as if the recollection of last night's supper had imparted a new relish to the meal. "'Peg away, Bob,' said Mr. Allen to his companion encouragingly. "'So I do,' replied Bob Sawyer." And so, to do him justice, he did. Nothing like dissecting to give one an appetite, said Mr. Bob Sawyer, looking round the table. Mr. Pickwick slightly shuddered. By the by, Bob, said Mr. Allen, have you finished that leg yet? Nearly, replied Sawyer, helping himself to half a fowl as he spoke. It's a very muscular one for a child's. Oh, is it? inquired Mr. Allen carelessly. Very, said Bob Sawyer, with his mouth full. I've put my name down for an arm at our place, said Mr. Allen. We're clubbing for a subject, and the list is nearly full, only we can't get hold of any fellows that wants ahead. I wish you'd take it. No, replied Bob Sawyer. Can't afford expensive luxuries. Nonsense, said Alan. Can't indeed, rejoined Bob Sawyer. I wouldn't mind a brain, but I couldn't stand a whole head. Hush, hush, gentlemen, pray, said Mr. Pickwick. I hear the ladies. As Mr. Pickwick spoke, the ladies gallantly escorted by Messrs. Snodgrass, Winkle, and Tupman, Return from an early walk. Why, Ben, said Arabella, in a tone which expressed more surprise than pleasure at the sight of her brother. Come to take you home tomorrow, replied Mr. Benjamin. Mr. Winkle turned pale. Don't you see Bob Sawyer, Arabella? inquired Mr. Benjamin Allen, somewhat reproachfully. Arabella gracefully held out her hand in acknowledgment of Bob Sawyer's presence. A thrill of hatred struck to Mr. Winkle's heart, as Bob Sawyer inflicted on the proffered hand a perceptible squeeze. Ben, dear, said Arabella, blushing, have, have you been introduced to Mr. Winkle? I have not been, but I shall be very happy to be, Arabella, replied her brother gravely. Here Mr. Allen bowed grimly to Mr. Winkle, while Mr. Winkle and Mr. Bob Sawyer glanced mutual distrust out of the corners of their eyes. The arrival of the two new visitors and the consequent check upon Mr. Winkle and the young lady with the fur round her boots would in all probability have proved a very unpleasant interruption to the hilarity of the party, had not the cheerfulness of Mr. Pickwick and the good humor of the host been exerted to the very utmost for the common weal. Mr. Winkle gradually insinuated himself into the good graces of Mr. Benjamin Allen, 
and even joined in a friendly conversation with Mr. Bob Sawyer, who, enlivened with the brandy and the breakfast and the talking, gradually ripened into a state of extreme facetiousness and related with much glee an agreeable anecdote about the removal of a tumor on some gentleman's head, which he illustrated by means of an oyster knife and a half-quartern loaf to the great edification of the assembled company. Then the whole train went to church, where Mr. Benjamin Allen fell fast asleep, while Mr. Bob Sawyer abstracted his thoughts from worldly matters by the ingenious process of carving his name on the seat of the pew in corpulent letters of four inches long. Now, said Wardle, after a substantial lunch, with the agreeable terms of strong beer and cherry brandy had been done ample justice to, what would you say to an hour on the ice? We shall have plenty of time. Capital, said Mr. Benjamin Allen. Prime, ejaculated Mr. Bob Sawyer. You skate, of course, Winkle, said Wardo. Uh, yes, oh, oh, yes, replied Mr. Winkle. I, I am rather out of practice. Oh, do skate, Mr. Winkle, said Arabella. I like to see it so much. Oh, it is so graceful, said another young lady. A third young lady said it was elegant, and a fourth expressed her opinion that it was swan-like. Well, I should be very happy, I'm sure, said Mr. Winkle, reddening, but I have no skates. This objection was at once overruled. Trundle had a couple of pair, and the fat boy announced that there were half a dozen more downstairs, whereat Mr. Winkle expressed exquisite delight and looked exquisitely uncomfortable. Old Wardle led the way to a pretty large sheet of ice, and the fat boy and Mr. Weller, having shoveled and swept away the snow which had fallen on it during the night, Mr. Bob Sawyer adjusted his skates with a dexterity which to Mr. Winkle was perfectly marvelous, and described circles with his left leg, and cut figures of eight, and inscribed upon the ice, without once stopping for breath, a great many other pleasant and astonishing devices, to the excessive satisfaction of Mr. Pickwick, Mr. Tupman, and the ladies, which reached a pitch of positive enthusiasm when old Wardle and Benjamin Allen, assisted by the aforesaid Bob Sawyer, performed some mystic evolutions, which they called a reel. All this time, Mr. Winkle, with his face and hands blue with the cold, had been forcing a gimlet into the sole of his feet, and putting his shoes on with the points behind, and getting the straps into a very complicated and entangled state, with the assistance of Mr. Snodgrass, who knew rather less about skates than a Hindu. At length, however, with the assistance of Mr. Weller, the unfortunate skates were firmly screwed and buckled on, and Mr. Winkle was raised to his feet. Now then, sir, said Sam in an encouraging tone, off with you and show him how to do it. Stop, Sam, stop, said Mr. Winkle, trembling violently and clutching hold of Sam's arms with the grasp of a drowning man. How slippery it is, Sam. Not an uncommon thing upon ice, sir, replied Mr. Weller. Hold up, sir. This last observation of Mr. Weller's bore reference to a demonstration Mr. Winkle made at the instant of a frantic desire to throw his feet in the air and dash the back of his head on the ice. These, these are very awkward skates, ain't they, Sam? replied Mr. Winkle, staggering. I'm afeard there's an awkward gentleman on them, sir, replied Sam. Now, Winkle, cried Mr. Pickwick, quite unconscious that there was anything the matter. Come. The ladies are all anxiety. Yes, yes, replied Mr. Winkle with, with a ghastly smile. I'm coming. Just to go and to begin, said Sam, endeavoring to disengage himself. Now, sir, start off. This is stop an instant, Sam, gasped Mr. Winkle, clinging most affectionately to Mr. Weller. I find I've got a couple of coats at home that I don't want, Sam. You may have them, Sam. Oh, thank you, sir, replied Mr. Weller. 
Never mind touching your hat, Sam, said Mr. Winkle hastily. You needn't take your hand away to do that. I meant to have given you five shillings this morning for a Christmas box, Sam. I'll give it to you this afternoon, Sam. Oh, you're very good, sir, replied Mr. Weller. Just hold me at first, Sam, will you? said Mr. Winkle. There, uh, that's right. I shall soon get in the way of it, Sam. Not too fast, Sam, not too fast. Mr. Winkle, stooping forward with his body half doubled up, was being assisted over the ice by Mr. Weller in a very singular and unswan-like manner. When Mr. Pickwick most innocently shouted from the opposite bank, Sam! Sir! Here! I want you! Let go, sir, said Sam. Don't you hear the governor a-callin'? Let go, sir! With a violent effort, Mr. Weller disengaged himself from the grasp of the agonized Pickwickian and, in so doing, administered a considerable impetus to the unhappy Mr. Winkle, with an accuracy which no degree of dexterity or practice could have ensured. That unfortunate gentleman bore swiftly down into the center of the reel, at the very moment when Mr. Bob Sawyer was performing a flourish of unparalleled beauty. Mr. Winkle struck wildly against him, and with a loud crash they both fell heavily down. Mr. Pickwick ran to the spot. Bob Sawyer had risen to his feet, but Mr. Winkle was far too wise to do anything of the kind in skates. He was seated on the ice, making spasmodic efforts to smile, but anguish was depicted on every liniment of his countenance. "'Are you hurt?' inquired Mr. Benjamin Allen with great anxiety. "'Not much,' said Mr. Winkle, rubbing his back very hard. "'I wish you'd let me bleed you,' said Mr. Benjamin with great eagerness. Uh, "'No, thank you,' replied Mr. Winkle hurriedly. "'I really think you had better,' said Alan. "'Thank you,' replied Mr. Winkle. "'I'd rather not.' "'What do you think, Mr. Pickwick?' inquired Bob Sawyer. Mr. Pickwick was excited and indignant. He beckoned to Mr. Weller and said in a stern voice, "'Take his skates off.' "'No, but I really had scarcely begun,' remonstrated Mr. Winkle. "'Take his skates off,' repeated Mr. Pickwick firmly. The command was not to be resisted. Mr. Winkle allowed Sam to obey it in silence. "'Lift him up,' said Mr. Pickwick. Sam assisted him to rise. Mr. Pickwick retired a few paces apart from the bystanders, and beckoning his friend to approach, fixed a searching look upon him and uttered in a low but distinct and emphatic tone these remarkable words. "'You are a humbug, sir.' "'A, a what?' said Mr. Winkle, staring. "'A humbug, sir.' I will speak plainer if you wish it. An impostor, sir. With those words, Mr. Pickwick turned slowly on his heel and rejoined his friends. While Mr. Pickwick was delivering himself of the sentiment just recorded, Mr. Weller and the fat boy, having by their joint endeavors cut out a slide, were exercising themselves thereupon in a very masterly and brilliant manner. Sam Weller, in particular, was displaying that beautiful feat of fancy sliding which is currently denominated knocking at the cobbler's door and which is achieved by skimming over the ice on one foot and occasionally giving a postman's knock upon it with the other. It was a good, long slide, and there was something in the motion which Mr. Pickwick, who was very cold with standing still, could not help envying. "'It looks a nice, warm exercise, that, doesn't it?' he inquired of Mr. Wardle, when that gentleman was thoroughly out of breath, by reason of the indefatigable manner in which he had covered his legs into a pair of compasses and drawn complicated problems on the ice. Oh, it does indeed, replied Wardle. Do you slide? I used to do so on the gutters when I was a boy, replied Mr. Pickwick. Try it now, said Wardle. Oh, do please, Mr. Pickwick, cried all the ladies. I should be very happy to afford you any amusement, replied Mr. Pickwick. 
but I haven't done such a thing these thirty years. Ah, oh, poo-poo, nonsense, said Wordle, dragging off his skates with the impetuosity which characterized all his proceedings. Here, I'll keep you company. Come along. And away went the good-tempered old fellow down the slide, with a rapidity which came very close upon Mr. Weller, and beat the fat boy all to nothing. Mr. Pickwick paused, considered, pulled off his gloves and put them in his hat, took two or three short ones, balked himself as often, and at last took another run, and went slowly and gravely down the slide, with his feet about a yard and a quarter apart amidst the gratified shouts of all the spectators. "'Keep the pot a bilin', sir,' said Sam, and down went Wardle again, and then Mr. Pickwick, and then Sam, and then Mr. Winkle, and then Bob Sawyer, and then the fat boy, and then Mr. Snodgrass, following closely upon each other's heels, and running after each other with as much eagerness as if their future prospects in life depended on their expedition. It was the most intensely interesting thing to observe the manner in which Mr. Pickwick performed his share in the ceremony, to watch the torture of anxiety with which he viewed the person behind, gaining upon him at the imminent hazard of tripping him up, to see him gradually expend the painful force he had put on at first, and then slowly round on the slide, with his face towards the point from which he had started, to contemplate the playful smile which mantled on his face when he had accomplished the distance, and the eagerness with which he turned round when he had done so, and ran after his predecessor, his black gaiters tripping pleasantly through the snow, and his eyes beaming cheerfulness and gladness through his spectacles. And when he was knocked down, which happened upon the average every third round, it was the most invigorating sight that can possibly be imagined to behold him gather up his hat, gloves, and handkerchief with a glowing countenance, and resume his station in the rank with an ardor and enthusiasm that nothing could abate. The sport was at its height, the sliding was at the quickest, the laughter was at the loudest, when a sharp, smart crack was heard. There was a quick rush towards the bank, a wild scream from the ladies, and a shout from Mr. Tupman. A large mass of ice disappeared, the water bubbled up over it, Mr. Pickwick's hat, gloves, and handkerchief were floating on the surface, and this was all of Mr. Pickwick that anybody could see. Dismay and anguish were depicted on every countenance. The males turned pale, and the females fainted. Mr. Snodgrass and Mr. Winkle grasped each other by the hand, and gazed at the spot where their leader had gone down, with frenzied eagerness, while Mr. Tupman, by way of rendering the promptest assistance, and at the same time conveying to any persons who might be within hearing the clearest possible notion of the catastrophe, ran off across the country at his utmost speed, screaming, FIRE! with all his might. It was at this moment, when old Wardle and Sam Weller were approaching the hole with cautious steps, and Mr. Benjamin Allen was holding a hurried consultation with Mr. Bob Sawyer on the advisability of bleeding the company generally, as an improving little bit of professional practice, it was at this very moment that a face, head, and shoulders emerged from beneath the water and disclosed the features and spectacles of Mr. Pickwick. "'Keep yourself up for an instant, for only one instant,' bawled Mr. Snodgrass. "'Yes, do let me implore you, for my sake,' roared Mr. Winkle, deeply affected. The adjuration was rather unnecessary, the probability being that if Mr. Pickwick had declined to keep himself up for anybody else's sake, it would have occurred to him that he might as well do so for his own. "'Do you feel the bottom there, old fellow?' said Wardle. "'Yes, certainly,' replied Mr. Pickwick, wringing the water from his head and face and gasping for breath. "'I fell upon my back. I couldn't get on my feet at first. 
The clay upon so much of Mr. Pickwick's coat, as was yet visible, bore testimony to the accuracy of this statement. And as the fears of the spectators were still further relieved by the fat boys suddenly recollecting that the water was nowhere more than five feet deep, prodigies of valor were performed to get him out. After a vast quantity of splashing and cracking and struggling, Mr. Pickwick was at length fairly extricated from his unpleasant position and once more stood on dry land. Oh, he'll catch his death of cold, said Emily. Dear old thing, said Arabella, let me wrap the shawl around you, Mr. Pickwick. Ah, that's the best thing you can do, said Wardle. And when you've got it on, run home as fast as your legs can carry you and jump into bed directly. A dozen shawls were offered on the instant, three or four of the thickest having been selected. Mr. Pickwick was wrapped up and started off under the guidance of Mr. Weller, presenting the singular phenomenon of an elderly gentleman dripping wet and without a hat and with his arms bound down to his sides, skimming over the ground without any clearly defined purpose, at the rate of six good English miles an hour. Mr. Pickwick cared not for appearances in such an extreme case, and urged on by Sam Weller, he kept at the very top of his speed until he reached the door of Manor Farm where Mr. Tupman had arrived some five minutes before and had frightened the old lady into palpitations of the heart by impressing her with the unalterable conviction that the kitchen chimney was on fire, a calamity which always presented itself in glowing colors to the old lady's mind when anybody about her evinced the smallest agitation. Mr. Pickwick paused not an instant until he was snug in bed. Sam Weller lighted a blazing fire in the room and took up his dinner. A bowl of punch was carried up afterwards and a grand carouse held in honor of his safety. Old Wordle would not hear of his rising, so they made the bed the chair, and Mr. Pickwick presided. A second and a third bowl were ordered in, and when Mr. Pickwick awoke next morning, there was not a symptom of rheumatism about him, which proves, as Mr. Bob Sawyer very justly observed, that there is nothing like hot punch in such cases, and that if ever hot punch did fail to act as a preventative, it was merely because the patient fell into the vulgar error of not taking enough of it. The jovial party broke up next morning. Breakings up are capital things in our school days, but in afterlife they are painful enough. Death, self-interest, and fortune's changes are every day breaking up many a happy group and scattering them far and wide, and the boys and girls never come back again. We do not mean to say that it was exactly the case in this particular instance. All we wish to inform the reader is that the different members of the party dispersed to their several homes that Mr. Pickwick and his friends once more took their seats on top of the Muggleton coach, and that Arabella Allen repaired to her place of destination, wherever it might have been. We dare say Mr. Winkle knew, but we confess we don't, under the care and guardianship of her brother Benjamin, and his most intimate and particular friend, Mr. Bob Sawyer. Before they separated, however, that gentleman and Mr. Benjamin Allen drew Mr. Pickwick aside with an air of some mystery, and Mr. Bob Sawyer thrusting his forefinger between two of Mr. Pickwick's ribs and thereby displaying his native drollery and his knowledge of the anatomy of the human frame, at one and the same time inquired, I say, old boy, where do you hang out? Mr. Pickwick replied that he was at present suspended at the George and Vulture. I wish you'd come and see me, said Bob Sawyer. Nothing would give me greater pleasure, replied Mr. Pickwick. There's my lodgings, said Mr. Bob Sawyer, producing a card. Lance Street, Borough? It's near Guy's and handy for me, you know. Little distance after you've passed St. George's Church turns out of the high street on the right-hand side of the way. I shall find it, said Mr. Pickwick. Come on Thursday fortnight and bring the other chaps with you, said Mr. Bob Sawyer. I'm going to have a few medical fellows that night. 
Mr. Pickwick expressed the pleasure it would afford him to meet the medical fellows, and after Bob Sawyer had informed him that he meant to be very cozy, and that his friend Ben was to be one of the party, they shook hands and separated. We feel that in this place we lay ourselves open to the inquiry whether Mr. Winkle was whispering during this brief conversation to Arabella Allen, and if so, what he said. And furthermore, whether Mr. Snodgrass was conversing apart with Emily Wardle, and if so, what he said. To this we reply that whatever they might have said to the ladies, they said nothing at all to Mr. Pickwick or Mr. Tupman for eight and twenty miles, and that they sighed very often, refused ale and brandy, and looked gloomy. If our observant lady readers can deduce any satisfactory inferences from these facts, we beg them by all means to do so. And that was chapter 30 from The Pickwick Papers by Charles Dickens. So there's several things in the story not resolved. You'll just have to read the book to find out what happens next to Pickwick and his friends and their pursuit of finding true love. It's it's a great story. And if you haven't had a chance to read Pickwick Papers, you, you really should. There are several good audio versions of it if you like to listen to audiobooks. Honestly, Dickens is best when it's read out loud. So you can go on Audible. There are several versions available there. And if you look around, you'll even find one read by Gerald Dickens, who was on the show cup um, last month. It's one of my favorite versions. We've all been here, right? Where maybe we make a boast of something we don't know how to do just to impress someone that we might have feelings for. And then when we get called out on it, uh, <laughs> awkwardness ensues. Uh, so we're, we're getting close to Valentine's Day. That's a fun date idea. Take your significant other, go ice skating, enjoy some hot chocolate. Try to stay upright if you can. I hope you have some time to enjoy that with any loved ones in your life. Well, that brings me to the end of our uh, first episode of the 2021 Christmas season. At the time of this recording, we have 325 long days ahead until Christmas Day. But there's no need to rush into it. Enjoy the time as you slowly build the excitement and the joy of the season throughout this year. I'll be here with you through this all, bringing you stories, memories, and, and talking with friends about Christmas. In the next episode, I'm going to be talking a lot about books. I've got a story I'll read that actually has to do with collecting books. Something new I'm going to be starting about once a month. I'll be recommending different Christmas books and stories to read. And I'll, I'll talk about them as well in, in follow-up episodes. So if you want to read along with me on some of these books, you can. Um, if you want to join in on the conversation, um, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There'll be more details in the next episode, which will be dropping around February 22nd. Uh, we're going to go to about two episodes a month for now and then slowly build up as we get closer to Christmas Day. If you like what we're doing on the show, you can support us. Go to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com backslash cozy Christmas. And for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help support the show. Also, I have an Etsy store and the link will be in the show notes. I do have one ornament on there. I got, if you want several, just let me know and I can make some more. And I'll, I plan to be adding to that throughout the year. And I'm going to have some different ornaments adding throughout the year. Again, reach out to me with your Christmas memories at cozychristmaspodcast at gmail.com. Send an email, voicemail, carrier pigeon, whatever you got. 
um, I want to read your story or hear your story. All right. Well, this has been fun, but it, it is time to uh, to get back to the, the cozy cabin and settle down with some hot chocolate, I think. So in the meantime, be kind to each other and share your stories. And remember that there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. Have a very Merry Christmas.